The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. We're back. I know. I never say my name. This is Joni Siegel and... Jason Good. Yes. And we do the Addiction Podcast, and this is episode 16. I can't believe we've done 16 episodes already. I can't believe we have 1,900 downloads. That's awesome. It's very awesome. But it all, unfortunately, I think it also points to the fact that addiction is a huge problem worldwide. It absolutely is. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't. And right now, like I've said a million times in the past, addiction now is more prevalent than ever. Right. I mean, we're at the pinnacle of like the addiction problem That's right. in the world because back in the day, and I always say this over and over again, I probably have said it on the last five episodes we've done, mm-hmm. but back in the day, you didn't have many drug addicts around. It was a huge faux pas to be a drug addict. It was um, something you never ran into, you didn't really hear of. It was you know completely away from you and out of your reality, and now it's like the completely different an opposite situation that's occurring is that not only are kids addicted, but literally anybody can be addicted to the point where you have doctors that get addicted, lawyers that get addicted, police officers that get addicted, teachers that get addicted. Everybody can get addicted. It's it's a non-prejudicial thing. That's right. It can absolutely happen to everybody. If you have that perfect storm where you take a drug, you've got some things happening in your life, and once you take that drug, not only do you get the euphoric effects, but you also have this realization that this drug is offering you a better form of survival than you had without it. Right. And so that's what creates the addiction. And it goes from there. And so right now, there's a lot of people addicted. That's right. I want to tell our listeners what I was telling you before we got on, because I like to give a little bit of future there in terms of what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. There is a woman in our area named Pamela Seafeld, And Pamela is a pharmacologist. And she uses natural alternatives like essential oils, pharmacy grade essential oils and minerals to help people step down off of various drugs like psychiatric medications that you have to do that with. And I was talking to her today because we're going to interview her two weeks from today. We're going to interview her on this podcast. And I told her about the interest in the one we did last week on opioids. Mm -hmm. And listeners, we're going to talk about opioids again today. But she said, along the lines of what you were saying, she said a lot of people are coming into hospitals with what's called cellulitis because they have taken um, a pill, mm-hmm. crushed it up, mixed it with a little bit of water, and then shot it into their veins. Right. So it has a toxic effect on the, uh, I guess that's the fat cells, right? The cellulitis or cells just in cells general. general. Cells in general. It's a nasty infection. But she also said that there are like 70-year-old people, grandmothers and such, coming in with this. So. Mm-hmm. Along the lines with what you were just saying, and we said this last week, we're not just talking about the guy sitting on the street corner who's all dirty and disgusting and degraded who's shooting up. We are talking about every demographic. There is no demographic in this country that isn't touched by drugs. Just today, meeting with a lovely guy that we know, I think in his late 30s, maybe early 40s. Mm And very upscale individual. He does a lot of volunteering. He's a he's a highly educated guy. Brother is a drug addict. You know? Everybody's touched by it. And I gave him the card because I said, you know, listening to the podcast is a completely non-committal way to at least start bridge, bridging over or branching into or bridging into or getting into the fact that there might be a problem. Yeah. And hopefully the uh, the podcast allows any future conversations 
that may happen later mm-hmm. be a little bit easier. Yeah. You give parents a little bit more understanding of addiction and give them, give them a little bit more information about addiction. And that way, if they have a loved one who's addicted or a friend that's addicted or whomever, it can make that conversation so much more easy, even exactly. though it's not an easy conversation, but it can make it easier if you're armed with data, if you're armed with information and knowledge. Exactly. And he, he said, this friend of ours said, you know, my mom is so wrapped up in what's going on with my brother. And I said, have her listen to the podcast Mm -hmm. because the problem, as we've said many times is, and you brought this up when, when you have a loved one who's addicted, you go through the shame, you go through the guilt, Mm -hmm. but you feel alone and you don't know who to talk to. Do you know if, I mean, I know you. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm lucky in that respect. If I met someone who was an addict, I would say, talk to Jason, (laughs) but the average person they go, who do I talk to? And most people don't want to talk to anybody exactly. because of the shame that's associated with it and exactly. the um, the stigma that's associated with it. I know when my parents were dealing with my addiction, they didn't tell anybody. For, a long, for the longest period of time, most of my family didn't know what was happening. Right. They kept it a secret. They kept it hidden because hopefully it could be one of those things that would just get you know, handled, done, and no one has no one ever has to know that it happened. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Yeah, it'll with me. just go away if we don't pay attention to it. Guess what, guys? That doesn't happen with addiction. It won't just go away. Yeah, and it's a family. It's a family. It affects the whole family, right? And I don't think that it should be necessarily hidden from other family members because if you have a set of parents that have a child that's an addict, it's easier to have more family on board to help you deal with it than just the two parents or the one parent trying to deal with it themselves. Because it's almost like, not safety in numbers, but more strength in numbers Right. when you're approaching someone to get them help. And so, you know, I always tell parents, you know, don't, don't be reasonable. Let people know what's going on. And the more people to help, the better. Exactly. Exactly. And so back to the thing you were talking about with the person that shot up the pain pill. Yeah. Or, and got or just that that's what's happening. Or, she said people right. going into the hospitals and the hospitals you know, they're having to deal with this now because there's all these horrible side effects when you do something with these opioids that they were not intended to, like, shoot them up. Right. Well, one, shooting up was never something that was intended to occur in a public restroom, bathroom, backseat of a car, or anywhere where people do it. It wasn't really, it's not really a thing that's supposed to have ever occurred. Right. But that's what's happening. Now, one of the scariest things that's going on along the lines of infections is uh, the prevalence of endocarditis in IV drug users. And what is endocarditis? Endocarditis is an infection of the uh, the heart valves. And so the scariest thing is that people use drugs, they'll shoot them up and be fine for months, and then the endocarditis pops up. Right. And right now it's one of the leading causes of young people needing heart surgery because when you have endocarditis, if it doesn't kill you, you need to get heart valve replacement. And so that's a big thing that's happening. And I personally know somebody who, you know, I grew up with or grew up in my town and I was friends with my sister who later in life became an addict. And then she got sober and was clean for a year. And then she died of endocarditis after a year being clean. Wow. So that's like, that's some really scary stuff. And again, that's an indicator of where things are at right now because that's never something that occurred in the past. That was never a problem that, you know, you had to worry about your child shooting up heroin and then getting endocarditis. So and dying of a heart dying, attack. Or, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's insanity. It is insanity. And, you know, I think one of the things, 
and I'm, I'm going to address this to any parents or loved ones that are listening, because I, I think sometimes when you are young and, you know, whether you're an addict or you're not an addict, you don't think anything bad can ever happen to you. And if, you know, if you go into it with that viewpoint and, and the drugs can cause long-term disastrous effects on the body. That's what I'm trying to say. And you don't like to think like that, you know, and you think, oh, you know, I'm invincible, you know, because I'm young. And if I, you know, shoot up some heroin, nothing bad is going to happen. I told the story, you know, about the 70 year old woman. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with her insides until she told me her drug history. And I went, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. That may be why. Now I understand. Because I've seen videos of, you know, heavy-duty drug users and the loss of teeth and the loss of big pieces of their intestine. Ooh, who out there wants that? Yuck. We don't think about it Mm-mm. when you're an addict. I when you're using sure. drugs, you don't. That's like the furthest thing that is of relative importance Even- to anything in your life. Because when you're, when you're using and you're surviving on a literal moment-to-moment basis... Because you're constantly having to find a way to make money, you have to make money, you have to find your drugs, you have to use your drugs, and then you have to, and then it's like, and hide and then, and re, and re, the drugs, it's like, and then repeat, rinse and repeat, just exactly. rinse and repeat, and that's that's the lifestyle. And you don't and think about death either. You're the last thing you're thinking about is death, because in my mind, death was not the scariest thing. The scary, <laughs> which which is insanity, <laughs> like, but oh the scariest God. thing to me was. Not having the not drugs. having drugs, not having the ability to deal with life, not having the ability to deal with the things I need to do. Um, it was also scarier than anything for me to have anyone find out what was really going on. Right. Because I had this constant fear of being found out. And that's what a lot of addicts go through. That's why there's the lies. That's where there's the deceit. And then no, mom, everything's fine. I'm just really tired. You know, no addict ever wants to face the fact that they have lost complete control over their entire lives, that this one pill or this one powder or whatever it is that they take completely strip them of everything right because you don't want to admit you're wrong after all that time right because you've put a ton of effort into cultivating this addiction and cultivating this way of dealing with life that you saw fit for yourself and you thought was the best way to do it and after all the time that's gone by all the lies that have been told all the um all the stuff that's been stolen, the family parties that have been ruined and the, you know, all that stuff after all that to admit, yeah, I, I've completely lost control is something that's very hard for a lot of drug users to do. And I can imagine that because I mean, even when you haven't, even when you're not an addict, if you do something that is so much against your moral code. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to admit that. No. I mean, it's just hard to admit that you've gone that far south. You know, if it, even if it's just, you know, like going having another partner than your husband or wife, you sure. know, because you know that's totally against your moral code. You never want to admit it. Most people don't come back and go, by the way, I just really messed up and, you know, had sex with another person. So it's just, it is hard to admit. It is. And so... I always encourage families. That's why we've talked about this before. And it's making sure that families always have very open communication lines with each other. Right. And to always be able to spot when something's wrong and then just deal with it. Because if you see a problem with a family member or a friend or a loved one or whomever, and you let it go and you don't say anything, you don't do anything, you don't take any kind of action. All you're doing is allowing this person that you think is having a problem the ability to possibly kill themselves five minutes after they walk away from you. Right. And, and not the, doing it, not doing something is way worse than doing the wrong thing. Right. 
And so I always, like I said, we encourage open communication with family. And when something's wrong, just deal with it then. Don't don't kind of pussyfoot around right. and light touch it and just kind of, or, you know, just have a casual conversation about it. This is something you need to take control of. You need to take action over it. You need to do it now because if you don't, the effects of not doing so can be completely disastrous that you may be sitting at someone's funeral and kicking yourself saying, you know, I wish I had said something that one time when I noticed everything was really wrong. I should have said something. I don't think anybody needs to experience that feeling. Nope. Because it's not a good feeling. No. And remember when Aiden was here, he was talking about how the whole idea of discussing deep-seated thoughts, ideas, emotions was not done in his culture, Mm -hmm. not done in his family. So there's a whole operating basis of his family and i'm not i'm not trying to i'm not trying to poke at anybody's culture but there you didn't do that you just didn't talk about such things and so what do you end up you have not only someone who then becomes addicted but someone who then when things fall apart because there isn't that open communication Mm -hmm. he reverts you know and it's like it happens yeah and like i said Right now, it's not uncommon for someone to be addicted. So once you notice something's wrong with somebody, deal with it. Right. Take action. Make them take a drug test. Sit down, talk to them. Whatever it takes. Right. You know. Or call Narcanon because that's the thing. Call Narcanon. That's the thing I was telling my friend today is like, you guys offer such a great service. You Mm -hmm. know, you've got an anonymous phone number that people can call in. They don't have to give you any information, but Mm -hmm. they can, they can talk to you. Right. You've got the whole chat that's set up on the website. And then, you know, if, if all else fails, you guys will do an intervention if that's what's needed. You know, it's like, you guys have help in Narcanon Suncoast. These are a group of people who, first of all, understand what you're going through, understand what your loved one, the addict is going through Mm -hmm. and can speak to that in an intelligent way. You know, I always go to your blog. I always mm-hmm. go to your blog the day we do this podcast because I kind of want to see what you're talking about. So I get some idea on what we can talk about. And you posed, posed a very good question. What if there had never been oxycodone or oxycontin or any of those? Which I think is, you know, it's a good question. But the, the thing about your blog that hit me, and I, I really want people to understand this, it's another way of saying it's not the guy sitting down on the street corner shooting up heroin. Young girl goes in for wisdom tooth surgery. And my wisdom tooth surgery when I was 18 was the worst thing that has ever happened to me, oh, <laughs> ever. And I, I had two C-sections. I mean, I, that was the worst, absolute worst. But she's prescribed Norco. Norco, which is common. And it's very common to go to a dentist and have an extraction and, and get prescribed Norco. Now, in the blog- What happened to aspirin? Okay, what happened to just plain old aspirin or Advil or? There's no money, unfortunately. Unbelievable. You 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 don't get people strung out on aspirin, ibuprofen, Tylenol like you do opiates. And I'm not trying to get into the conversation of like there's a big conspiracy and Big Brother and like all that stuff. It's just let's call it what it is. I mean, opiates are a way that the government makes money, and I'm gonna leave that one alone right there. If anyone agrees with me, great. If they disagree with me, great. It's what I've observed. There you go. We're, just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, we're not going to touch that. But for people, <laughs> but for people listening, they need to be aware of this. Yeah. Because if I had an, an 18-year-old son, my kids, did they have their wisdom teeth out? I think one of them had to have his wisdom teeth out. I don't think he even wanted to take any painkillers because 
we kind of have that sort of, I don't know, mentality or culture in our family. We didn't do drugs so right. much. When my younger son was young, he had not quite asthma, but something along those lines as difficulty breathing. And I remember when the pediatrician wanted me to put him on some kind of weird medication that was going to maybe cause him to not be able to sleep and have bad dreams and be hyperactive. And I said, hmm, don't think I'm going to do that. So we kind of had that culture and he didn't want to take painkillers when he got his wisdom teeth out. But if you, if that's not necessarily the culture in which you've raised your kids, and mm-hmm. I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifference, I'm just saying it's not. Right. And you have a teenager who breaks their arm or sprains their ankle, you need to be aware and you need to question what painkiller did your GP or did your orthopedist just prescribe for your teenage kid? Yeah, and you need to ask, what, how, how strong is it? What are the side effects? And is there something else we can do that isn't quite so drastic? Right. And in that story, in the blog that I wrote, you know, I did pose the question, what if Oxycontin never existed? And then further into the into the blog, I had talked to a, to a student over at Narcan on Suncoast, mm-hmm. and I was talking to them about the progression of um, opiate addiction, how it goes from painkillers to heroin, and it actually happened with her. And so she wrote that little um, little blurb at the bottom that talked about she was fifteen. And went to the dentist to get wisdom teeth out, was given Norco, which is, you know, high strength Vicodin. And then it just snowballed out of control from there. And that's the same story that happens to mostly every single person that's currently hooked on heroin. Is that it started with painkillers. However, they got them. It got from a doctor. They got it from their friends. They stole it from their parents, whatever. And it started the entire snowball effect. As soon as they took that pill solve something solve the problem and then from there you know fast forward a year and a half later and they're sitting in some you know seedy hotel room with cockroaches crawling on the floor and mold going up the ceiling doing heaven knows what to get more you know right staring up at the the ceiling fan that's kind of slowly rotating (laughs) and they have blood dripping down their arm from where they last shot up and wonder how how did i get here right and it all starts with that pill. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, I wonder what if Oxycontin never existed? So if, let's like, let's go back in time. 1996, Purdue Pharma gets FDA approval for Oxycontin. 1999 marks the year that things started to get a little out of control mm-hmm. with the prescriptions. And then obviously it's gone crazy from there. But what if that didn't happen? Okay. What if? I mean, it's a fantasy at this point. Yeah. But I sat back and thought about it because I can't. This is really sad. I can't imagine our society without the opiate problem. Right. Because we've had it for 20, almost 20 years. You know, we probably wouldn't, we probably wouldn't have the same situation that we have today in terms of it being such an epidemic. Do you know? Yeah. Um, And just to go back to Norco, Norco prescribed for wisdom teeth. That's what they prescribed for my daughter-in-law who'd had a cesarean. That's, that's major surgery. Yes. Wisdom teeth is not necessarily ne- major, major surgery. surgery. I mean, you can feel that way when you get it done, but it's not really in the same classification as having your whole belly cut open to take babies out. Oh. So it's like the, the, A doesn't equal A there, or and shouldn't. It shouldn't. And it's funny because a blog I just wrote that's mm-hmm. not live yet, mm-hmm. but it's, it's up and coming, 
actually talks about the fact that some of the, the some of the patients that are most commonly overprescribed opiates are C-section patients. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a study was just done. Uh, I think it was this last month. It was done in July. It was done on the amount of painkillers that are prescribed to women who get cesarean sections and what the prevalence of addiction is and how, and uh, the, also the fact that they don't dispose of the medication properly. Right. So the blog kind of talked about that women common, commonly get 40 painkillers after C-section to take home with them post-op. And most of them will take half of them. Now, if women are prescribed 60 pills, they'll take more than to prescribe 40 pills, but most of them don't even finish the prescriptions. But then that poses another problem is that that prescription then just like hangs out in a medicine cabinet or like in a bathroom, you know, wherever. And it just, it's available for people to take. Right. And so with the, you know, there's a, we talked about my having to get rid of my Norco. And yeah. Like, oh, I mean, there's, I, a, I think that I think I can't remember what the statistic was, but there's a lot of cesarean sections that happen. Right. In the United States every year, there's a lot that occur, right? Right. And so if you take every one of those C-sections and then you um, you add 40 pills to each of those and then you half it, that's pretty much the amount of like unknown, uncontrolled medications that are kind of floating around out there. That's kind of amazing because I don't think she was prescribed more than one. I think, And I think she was prescribed a certain level of Norco and then she asked them to cut it down because she is of the mentality of not taking drugs right. if she can avoid it. And so she didn't, didn't want to take it. And I don't think she took it home with her though, either. I don't think I know she was taking, um, I think she was taking Advil or something when she got home. And that was the other part of, of this article that I'd read on this, um, was in this. So the study was done and it was, uh, it was published in Ups- the journal of obstetrics and gynecology. Mm-hmm. And it also talked about the fact that women could just get by. Most women could just like take ibuprofen and be fine. Yes. And I did that be- <laughs> because when I had a C-section, I had two C-sections and I remember the first time it was after a very long and arduous labor, mm-hmm. which was the same that my daughter-in-law went through. And I remember very clearly the nurse saying to me, you know, would you like some pain medication? And I said, no. And she said to me, and I quote, don't be a martyr. Oh. And I said, let me tell you something. After the labor I just went through, this is nothing. Mm-hmm. And literally, the pain that I was now in from the surgery, yes, it's a burning and it's a horrible feeling and yes, it's painful, but it was like, that's nothing compared to the labor pain, right, in my of course. opinion. You know, but that was her comment to me, like, don't be a martyr. And I was like, no, I'm not being a martyr. This doesn't hurt as bad as I've been the last few days and I wasn't taking anything, right. so I'm okay. And the thing is, is that most of the bumps and bruises and things that happen that we go to a doctor and they prescribe painkillers or opiates... Most of that could just be handled with ibuprofen, you know, on a rotating schedule, yep. ice yep. packs, doing, you know, doing different things to handle it. Opiates are, I think opiates have their place for like end of life pain. Like exactly. you're, like you're dying. Which was got, the purpose initially. That was the initial purpose right. behind Oxycontin. But wisdom teeth, you know, dental pain, even, you know, even when I went to the orthopedist in, in California and I ended up with this Norco I had to get rid of, it's like. I didn't need the Norco. What I actually needed was the steroid right. that took the inflammation down in my back so that I could function. But that's, I, I never took a pain pill. But that's the but that's the thing. That's that's the difference between handling symptoms and handling causes. Yeah. Because you could have easily just like if it weren't you, you weren't a person that didn't take drugs, right. you could easily just, you know, take the Norco, 
handle the symptoms, never get the steroid. Right. Your back continues to get worse right. because you didn't handle the reason you're in pain in the first place. You just masked it and they didn't face it, didn't confront it, didn't deal with it and just let it go. And then who knows what would have happened. Right. And that's the, the weirdest thing I think about our society is that in general, we don't want to deal with stuff. The truth of the matter is we are a pop a pill society. Yeah, we're, we're the type of society that doesn't want to face anything, doesn't want to deal with it. Easy way out. Give we, me a pill so I don't have to confront anything. It's like, I, I don't know how to get this across to the parents or anybody else that's listening. It's like, life happens and yeah. it's not always pleasant. And you, ha- you have to be willing to confront different things within your family mm-hmm. if you have children or you have parents. You have to be willing to have the tough conversations and work through it. And I guarantee it's going to be better if you do that. But this take a pop a pill mentality is so bad. And I, I realized that, and we talked about this before, too, that because pharmaceutical companies can advertise drugs on television, it's like it's in front of you all the time. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is no pill that you can take that is going to handle life for you. But there's okay? a ton of, true, but there are a lot of people out there that think you can take a pill because you have problems because you take pills. What do you mean? Uh-huh. So there's a thing out there that's called medically assisted treatment. We've talked about this before. It's a drug for drug mentality. So it's physicians and doctors and addictionologists that say, we get that you're hooked on Oxycontin and then you went over to heroin, but don't worry We've got a pill that'll fix that. And that makes no sense to me because there are options for one of the biggest treatment options out there that's available for opiate addiction are other pills to handle the opiate addiction. But the opiate addiction was created by pills in the first place. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these pills like methadone and suboxone, they're both opiates. Right. So it's like you go from shooting heroin to just going back on a pharmaceutical opiate that is what got you started on your road to lead you to heroin. And it doesn't make any sense to me because, I mean, sure, yeah, you could quit heroin or whatever opiate you're doing and go on Suboxone or go on Methadone, but you didn't handle any. You didn't, you didn't handle anything. You're, you're still on a drug. You're just on, like, a drug you get from the pharmacy versus, like, your drug dealer or whoever supplies your drugs. That doesn't make any sense because you don't, you haven't handled anything. You haven't dealt with why you became an addict. You haven't dealt with the fact that you've got things you can't face up to and look at and deal with. And, you know, all those things that got you started on drugs in the first place, you're just taking another, another drug. Right. And I write blogs about this and I put them out there in the public and I get so many people that absolutely hate that I talk out against methadone or suboxone because people will say, well, if it wasn't for suboxone, I, I, I never would have quit heroin. I would never would have had the life I have now and you know, gave me all these things and all that stuff. And really? I'm like, people say that to you. Yeah, they they'll say it, they'll write it on Facebook. Wow. They'll write it on 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 the on the article on Facebook about how you know methadone is the greatest thing that ever happened to them and suboxone allowed them to stop doing heroin and go have kids and have a family and all this stuff. And I don't write back. I don't because I don't want to get into it because it'll start this whole like I'll, I'll end up on a whole diatribe. But let me ask you a question: once you once you once you start taking methadone, you can't stop. Right? No, no, that's right. What you about suboxone? Is it the same way? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the reason why it doesn't make sense to you 
is because you don't have the mentality that a pill is going to solve whatever is going on with you. And But it's an easy way out for people. It, well, it is an easy way out. And, and here's one of the things, and I... Doctors, I appreciate doctors, and I really think that doctors have their place, and doctors do, you know, obviously they are a great service to Mm -hmm. society. But doctors know two things, either medicate it or cut it out. And here's the thing that you you need to keep in mind, those of you who are listening, you're responsible for your own health, Mm -hmm. and there are other alternatives. There are, like, here's one, and now I'm going to get people writing to me because I'm not a doctor, okay? Tons of drugs you see all over television for um, psoriasis and eczema. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to tell you right now that I'm going to bet that if you saw a nutritionist and you changed your diet and you changed the vitamins, minerals, and essential oils that you have, that you could probably address something like eczema or psoriasis versus taking a pill that is just going to mask the symptoms, you know, maybe clear up your skin a little bit, but not handle whatever the underlying cause is of that particular disorder. And a lot of the, a lot of the drugs for that are immunosuppressants. Mm-hmm. They bring your immune system down. Not so to mention the fact that probably those conditions are caused by other medications. Who knows? I, I once saw this woman in a, in a, a store, young woman beautiful young woman with the most uncontrollable muscle spasms. And I I knew, I I just, I knew it was probably caused by some medications that she had taken, been prescribed or, or it's possible. It's possible. I mean, I'm not a huge advocate of like psychiatric medications. I mean, I have my bout with them. And the thing is, is that most people who become addicted to drugs end up on psychiatric drugs because that's the other drug for drug mentality. So aside from, you know, you've got Suboxone, Methadone. That's the cure-all for opiate addiction. It's just like, why go to rehab when you can just take a pill and everything's going to be fine? Right. Well, that's that. The other side of it is a psychiatric medication is because when most people try to get clean, the first thing they find is 12-step psychiatric-based treatment. Mm-hmm. And so because it's a, based on a disease model and because it's um, a psychiatric-based treatment, one of the parts of the treatment is that you go in and you see a psychiatrist, they diagnose you with a mood disorder or a, a personality disorder or a depressive di- or whatever they feel like you have in right. their mind, and they prescribe you more drugs. Right. And so you're still on drugs. You might not be on the drugs you were on the street, but now you're on psychiatric drugs. Now you've gone down that rabbit hole, right. which is like a whole different, very strange trip. Down that hole. Well, and a lot of those, <laughs> and a lot of those medications cause you to put on weight. So then you're going to take other medications to so lose that you the can weight. Handle the to, so that you can lose the weight. They cause you to have dry mouth. Mm-hmm. So then you have to take medications so that you can now create more saliva, so you don't have dry mouth anymore. Yeah, it's it's insanity. It can get it can get pretty nuts. So I remember, I think I told you one time, I just happened to Google. You know, kids on like Ritalin. This was mm-hmm. years ago. Oh, I don't yeah. think Ritalin is it anymore. I think oh, it's, it's something it's, else it's, now. It's, it's obvious. It's strangely popular with housewives. And and okay, so I Google it and I find a woman who has her teenage son on six different psychiatric medications mm-hmm. because each one has to counteract the the first one. And it's like that mentality. I I just want to take somebody and grab them and say, "What are you thinking?" Yeah, you take one drug, 
that causes side effects, take another drug to handle the side effects. That one causes side effects, take another drug to handle those side effects, take the uppers and the downers to balance each other out. And it just gets really weird. Um, and so that's the other pill for pill mentality. And I don't think it's fair to sit uh, someone that's addicted to drugs, you know, get them off the street, you know, dust them off, get them through their withdrawal, stick them in front of a psychiatrist and start diagnosing them with mental disorders because they're just like, they're still burping up crack and you're trying to tell them that they're, you know, <laughs> that they have all these psychiatric problems. It's like, yeah, of course they appear that way. They're just coming off drugs. They've been doing this for years. They look nuts. I get that, but they're not. That's the funny thing. You handle the addiction and you get them to settle down. You handle every side of it you need to handle. And most, and when I say most, I'm going to say at least 95% of those people aren't going to appear to be mentally ill. That's because right. Because they're not. That's right. And I get because it's because it's behavior that's caused by the drug. So when you remove the drug, they don't act like yeah, that anymore. Like I had a, I had like I, I think I said this on the first episode we ever did when I was talking about my story. And I was in a rehab, and the woman sat me down, and she went through uh, my folder that I had with all my you know my life story and the weird you know, all this information, like what I had done, the things I was going through, and the things that my parents had told the counselor that I had done, and they gave them some insight, and. uh the woman said, yeah, you've got antisocial personality disorder. I was like, "I'm, yeah, I mean, a lot of the things I did are totally antisocial. Like, as far as that Duh. definition of the word goes, yeah, but I don't, I, don't, I don't do that if I'm not on drugs. She's like, oh, well, you won't, you won't be able to help yourself. I was like, well, what do you, hey, wait, what do you mean? She's, she told me I had this uncontrollable urge to cause chaos and havoc and and have no morals and no values and all this stuff because I had a personality disorder, but she was basing that off what I did under the influence of drugs. That makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. Zero. Completely insane. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's that world. That's, that's that modality. That's that world. And some people works great. Cool. I get it. If you know, some people are happy to like do their thing and pop their pills and everything's fine make sure they refill their prescriptions so they don't go through withdrawal and okay, I got it. But the people out there that think that taking Suboxone or methadone is going to handle everything surrounding their addiction are like gravely mistaken. That's right. Because there's a lot more that goes into fixing your life after addiction beyond getting off the drug and handling the cravings. Mm -hmm. Because that's all that drug does for them. Right. It gets them off heroin or off whatever drug they're taking whatever opiate they're on and supposedly handles their cravings now, i don't know if i necessarily believe that there's a lot of people i know who take suboxone methadone and still have cravings mm-hmm. but that's all it is if you take that drug away they're they're right back to where they were at square one they haven't done any kind of work they haven't done any kind of investigative trying to figure out where things went wrong kind of thing that the right kind of treatment will do Probably the only thing positive you could say about methadone or Suboxone is that it's illegal and that heroin is illegal because it's illegal to take heroin, correct? It's an illegal drug. Correct. Right. Okay. That's all. That's it. It's still going to mask the problem for which heroin was the solution. Now, methadone or Suboxone is the solution. It's not getting to the root of the problem. Right. But if you t- like I said, if you take that drug away, they, they're going to go right back. To heroin, they yeah. go right back to heroin, yeah, or to whatever opiate of choice, right? You know that they liked, right? And that's not logical to me, right? Because we have to stop being the land of the quick fix. We need to stop being the land of 
you know, pop a pill, everything is fine, or, you know, silver bullets or, you know, whatever. It's not because there's, it doesn't work. And it has never proven to work for the most part because you don't handle anything as far as the addiction goes. It's like I said, life happens, you know, communication has to occur, confront has to occur, and, and, until we get that mentality and the fact that maybe dealing with a certain problem that we have, whether it's a physical problem or whether it's a mental or emotional or spiritual problem, it might take a little bit of work. Mm -hmm. It might take a little bit of confront. It might take a little bit of communication. It's not something that you're going to be able to handle by a drink, a pill, a hypodermic, a smoke, what have you. It's, you know, there. Nobody ever said that life was going to be easy. You know, there are certain aspects of it that we have to confront and we have to deal with. That, you know? and, and that's the that's the thing. And that's the thing that comes up in addiction is that you live in a fantasy world right. when you're an addict. Right. Because you just have this drug that you can take and everything's fine and everything's okay. And you don't have to worry and all these things. But that's not life. That's not life. Life life has ups and downs. Life is hard sometimes. Life sucks sometimes. Exactly. I even say life sucks sometimes. Yes, it, does. it does. But it's all about but life is also really good sometimes. Yes. And there's some really awesome parts of life. And living a good life is finding a balance mm-hmm. between all that. Mm-hmm. And you do that by dealing with things. That's right. You do that by handling things. You don't do that by escaping into some drug induced fantasy world. And that's true also for parents. That's not only true for the addicts. That's true for the loved ones and the parents and the, you know, sons, daughters, whatever of addicts. Right. It's like, it's it's not going to be pretty and there's no easy way out for you. Mm-hmm. But if you don't confront the fact that this person that you love and that you know is addicted to alcohol or drugs, if you don't confront that fact, it's not going to get better and it's not going to go away. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to get ugly. It just will. It's but so it. what? What's the alternative? The alternative is overdose and death or goodness knows. So can you confront a screaming match? Can you confront, you know, how, doing a blood, a blood test, doing a drug test on your loved one when they are so angry with you, they can't even talk to you. If you can't confront that, you need to buck up because the next step is way worse than that. When they've left and you don't know where they are and they're off somewhere and you can't find them and they're in danger and they're in peril and they're, you know, they could overdose. It's like you have to have that tough conversation. Yeah. You don't want to, no parent wants to be the parent that has to make funeral arrangements for their child. That's right. Especially a grown child. That's right. Like, you know, that no one should ever have to deal with that. That's irreparable harm that is done to a family right and no family gets over the loss of a child and so i don't think any family should have to experience that when it's a lot easier to just deal with it right just deal with it and here's the worst thing if you're my son and i suspect you're an addict and so i get a drug test and i have you do it and it's clean okay you may be really irritated with me but I know, and guess what? We're okay, and we mm-hmm. can talk about it. And I can tell you why I did it in the first place, what I was worried about. That's the worst That's the worst that could possibly happen if you happen to be wrong about it. But wouldn't you rather know? Yeah, absolutely. It's better to know. Better to know, because 
On the other hand, if I do that drug test on you and it's positive, well, then we are going to have a tough conversation. And if you won't listen to me, I'll pick up the phone. I'll call Narcan on Suncoast and I'll get somebody to come over and talk to you about it, Mm -hmm. you know, and we'll have the tough conversation. But way better that than you just leave the house and I can't find you anymore. And the next thing I know, the police are calling me because you've died of an overdose. I, uh, or you've died because somebody shot you or what have you, you or, know, trying to get your drugs or whatever. Or I got in a car accident and killed a family of four. That, I mean, that's real. That happens. Yeah. It's, it's terrible, terrible consequences to trying to just brush something under the carpet and pretend it's not happening. That's right. That's exactly so, right. Give them that number that they can call. They can call 877-339-3324. 877-339-3324. Or they can go to narcanonsuncoast.org. Word and of warning, guys. Keep an eye on those painkillers. If your kids have any kind of physical problems that they've got to go and handle, broken leg, broken arm, sprained ankle. I remember when my older son was six years old, had a broken arm. They didn't give him any painkillers. Mm-hmm. You have to keep an eye on it. You have to keep an eye on it. And you have to just ask the hard question and say, can we just do aspirin? Will that work? Yeah, do it. You know? Aspirin, Tylenol. There's lots of other options out there to handle pain than just opiates. Right. So You don't have to do oxycodone. You have to do Norco, Vicodin, any of those. Those are heavy-duty painkillers, guys. Heavy-duty painkillers. You don't want to go down that road. And I'm hoping that people listening to this won't go down that road. Exactly. Or, and if they have... Maybe I'll figure out how to get off that road and onto a new road. Exactly. A better paved road. A better paved road. Not as many, like pot, not as many potholes. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Cool. Well, I think we're done for the day. What do oh, you think? Sure. So we'll come back again next week. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep having this tough conversation with you guys because guess what? It's a problem. It's not going away. There is hope. We're going to give it to you. And we're here. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 